Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to Believe in Softball. I'm your host, Jenna Becerra, and today we're going to cover a few things. So here's the order. First, we're going to cover all our bases. I'm going to give you updates on the current state of softball and some news. Then we'll get into today's guest, an interview with Trisha Ford, the head coach of ASU Softball, also a former coach of mine, so you know that'll be fun. And then I want to introduce a new segment, Double Play Tip of the Week, and I'll explain more about turning two and what this means when we get there. So let's get to it. Covering all our bases. Some big news happening this week. First thing, the Tokyo Olympic dates were revealed for 2021. So after the postponement was announced last week, the IOC now announced the Olympic Games will take place July 23rd through August 8th, 2021. So that's essentially one year almost exactly after the original dates that were supposed to happen this summer. And along with that, I think now that things are more concrete, Team USA canceled the remainder of the Stand Beside Her tour officially. This is the right decision. For health, for fairness, even logistically, This is what had to be done. We talked a lot about the implications of moving the Olympics in last week's episode and heard firsthand from Danielle Laurie, a veteran member of Team Canada, about how this affects life beyond just the field. There are a lot of factors. But ultimately, this is right. This is the right thing under these circumstances. And I'm also glad that this decision was made quickly. I think that's a big thing. Because one of the hardest parts about this pandemic outside of health, physical health, is that everything is unknown. So to make this decision and make one thing known, like the dates of the Olympics, is huge. It's something for us to hold on to. And I know I've seen on social media and kind of around that Team USA, Team Canada, et cetera, they've all been on video calls together. And I think it's important for them to stay together as a team. You're going through the trenches together as teammates and overcoming adversity, and this is, this is part of that. So to stick together is really important, and I think it's actually a sign of hope for the rest of us as spectators that are looking forward to the games and people who are just invested overall. And, you know, on this show, we've talked to people who have played and coached for Team USA, and I feel like the consistent theme tends to be how much it means to represent your country. Just the fact that the stakes are higher in international play because what you represent is bigger. And then when you factor in the Olympics, it's a whole new ball game, you know, pun intended, not sorry about it. But Natasha Watley, two-time Olympian, when she was on the show a few weeks back, she talked about that a lot. And this summer, you know, it's not going to be what we thought but the sport of softball knows what adversity is, especially when it comes to the Olympics. Waited 12 years, what's one more until next summer? So speaking of summer competition as well, the Aussie Peppers actually pulled out of the 2020 MPF season for safety, pretty much. It really had to do with concerns about COVID-19 and travel restrictions. For context, the Aussie Peppers are based in Minnesota for the NPF for that pro league, but they include a lot of members of Team Australia. NPF Commissioner Sherry Kempf released a statement about it. We actually already know that there's an indefinite delay for the 2020 season right now. The league hasn't officially canceled or made any concrete decisions, but they plan to announce updates on May 1st. And I think for me, it just seems like they're waiting as long as possible to see if they can play, but I I think it's simple. You got to cancel it. You know, the season is supposed to be April through into the summer. If something as big as the Olympics was already pushed, as well as obviously the NCAA decisions, to me it's pretty clear cut. You know, it's just waiting on official word. But speaking of the NCAA as well, the long-awaited vote, well, it feels long-awaited for us. It's really only been a few weeks, but everyone's been on pins and needles waiting for this but the vote came in to offer an additional year of eligibility for spring sport athletes because of COVID-19 cancellations. Again, this is absolutely the right decision. I mean, this is the decision that had to be made. Are there a lot of implications and ripple effects from this? Yes. 
the financial rules were adjusted. So teams now can carry more people on scholarship than usual. And that means the 2020 seniors that weren't supposed to really be there anymore next year and incoming freshmen. So it's being able to have both. The school is the one who can make the decision. They can offer another year, but without the requirement that athletic aid be provided at the same level that it was awarded for the 2019-2020 school year. So basically schools can ask you to come back, but they don't have to give you as much money. It's really at their discretion in terms of what they have at their disposal. And this is really only for people who would have been done with their eligibility this year. This is really a big time for seniors. And I have to say, this is obviously not a perfect solution because it's not going to be. There isn't one. But I think that having the option, just just the possibility, is big time. I think it's pretty clear that Power 5 schools with more money to work with than their mid-major or lower-level D1 counterparts are going to have an advantage. And I think we're actually going to feel those effects over time because it's not an even playing field when it comes to resources. And because of that, because of schools trying to figure it out, the transfer portal is going to be ridiculous. I mean, to be honest, I already kind of thought it was anyway. And I don't know, maybe, maybe that's because of my Stanford background. There's just not a lot of transferring. It's really hard to get in. It's not a very casual thing to do. Or even if you think about leaving, it's hard to want to give up that education. I actually saw more people who started off as varsity athletes stay at Stanford and end up playing club sports over transferring somewhere else to continue the sport that they started, which is a whole other thing. But I'm not really looking forward to that. I really like continuity in terms of the stories we see in college softball in the bonds that are formed. But that being said, maybe there'll be some interesting transfers. Maybe this will be a big shakeup in college softball. People will go to unexpected schools to finish out their careers. Who knows? There's really so much that's still unknown. But I think now there's something to look forward to at least. Again, it's not a perfect solution. We can't get back time. That's the only thing that would make this perfect is to get that back, but we can't. I'm grateful to just have another known in this sea of unknowns that we have right now and a glimpse into what we'll have in college softball moving forward. I think it matters that people have a chance to finish what they started. And one team that I know wants to finish what they started is ASU. And I'm so excited to share my conversation with their fearless leader listen in. She's the head coach of Arizona State Softball, 2018 Pac-12 Coach of the Year, previous two-time Mountain West Coach of the Year, junior national team coach, part of the reason I ended up at Stanford, and can't forget it, St. Mary's College Hall of Fame player, Trisha Ford. Thanks for calling in, Coach Ford. Thanks, JB. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) I'm excited to have you. It's been a while. I love just getting to catch up and talk softball. I know you are um, somebody that I always stay connected to and thankful that you're still in the game and we can still chat about it a lot. I know, me too. I'm so excited. And actually, speaking of that, you actually at ASU had a Taylor Becerra on your team last year. So I'm just start. I'm going to start things off hot here. So who's your favorite Becerra player that you've ever <laughs> <laughs> coached? And how about you guys both played third base? I know. (laughs) I know. Well, you're my OG, so, you know, you're my first. So, uh, (laughs) you know, but you guys are, it was funny, though, because when she came, I was like, oh, my gosh, there's another Becerra, Taylor Becerra, Jenna Becerra, both playing third base. It it was funny. Your actual, your arm action, too, was very similar. Really? (laughs) Yeah, kind of weird, but yes. (laughs) Well, I'll take that. I'll take OG. I can deal with that. It's funny because uh, I have family in Arizona, too, in the um, Gilbert area, and I have a cousin named Tyler Becerra, and if he was a girl, they were going to name him Taylor, 
So every oh, time man. they used to watch softball and like when they would see Taylor Becerra, they're like, oh, that could have been Tyler. I was like, I don't know <laughs> yeah. if that's how it works, but yeah. <laughs> oh. And didn't Taylor Becerra, she said she grew up watching you or she knew of you. And yes. I think when her and I talked right over at Stanford last year, the three of us kind of chatted a little bit about that she knew who you were and, and yes, uh, it was so funny. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. she she came to camps for Stanford and and actually her mom was listening into the games which we were calling at Stanford and she actually tweeted me a photo of Taylor and I when I was playing for Stanford and she was in you know like a Stanford softball shirt posing with me after a game it was crazy like full circle moment that's cool but <laughs> you just you know we always talk about how you never know the effect that you'll have on somebody even in just one encounter and you know, Taylor was a senior last year and you still had such an impactful part of her life, which I think is kind of cool and, and kind of what softball is all about. It really is. And it, it was really cool to just see that in person and get to meet her and, and see her play a little bit. It was, it was really fun. I loved it. And yeah. I love watching you get to coach in the Pac-12 <laughs> again. It's weird still for me, even though it's been a while that you've been over at ASU, but it's still hard for me to hear you say go devils at the end of your interviews and all of that, but I'm proud of you for everything that you've done over there. Oh, thanks JB. Yeah, it's weird. I just have shifted a little bit colors of red, right? And <laughs> yeah. so um, super excited that Alistair though, Coach Al is back at Stanford. I think that was the best thing and, and something that I know. And, and, you know, Stanford is something where I started a lot of my coaching career at and holds a very special place in my heart. So I'm very happy to see that get back on track and Coach Al just doing a great job. And I think it's always good to have an alum because they understand kind of the intricacies of Stanford and understand what it brings. And for me, it was, you know, ASU was my dream job and one of the only PAC schools I would have gone to. And um, something that I'm really excited to be a part of, but also very proud and, and hopefully represent in a really good way. Can you believe it's already been four years that you've been there? <laughs> Absolutely not. It's <laughs> funny. Uh, we were actually talking about that the other day that it just flies by, but I think, you know, that's when you're doing something that you don't think as a job and it's going to work and it's something that you love and are passionate about, you know, days fly by and, you know, although the, the players come in and out and they graduate and all that stuff, that love and that passion and that desire to, to be great and to be great for the players and for the program, I think is something that's just really dear to my heart and something that I'm very passionate about and just, I love going to work, which I'm missing right now. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I mean, man, we're all missing softball, but to be out on the field like you should be normally it must be tough. So what are you and the staff and the team doing right now? Yeah, we're doing a variety of different things, honestly. We're um, having once a week phone calls of group FaceTime and we get a good laugh in and just connect. I think that's really important just to keep that connection piece. And I text with them almost daily and, you know, harass them and get on them and coach <laughs> them up. They got to know that I still love them. Then as a staff, it's been really good um, because we've been able to start putting together some things that we haven't been able to, you know, you just kind of push off. And so we're doing some things about kind of our philosophy and our manual and uh, what is it like to be a sun devil and, you know, kind of all those foundational pieces that um, when you're transitioning a program, um, you're working on, but you never really get to, you know, I haven't put it all together on a piece of paper. And so we're doing a lot of stuff in that direction. And we're also experimenting and um, doing some things pitching wise and hitting wise, kind of play around on film and doing exercises yeah. and those types of things. I'm kind of a nerd, as you know, and <laughs> uh, just want to get better. And so there's been a lot of things that we've done, you know, through social media and kind of like us today, like through Zoom and, and other types of ways to kind of connect with those that are passionate about you know our sport and you know bounce ideas off of each other because I think I learned so much from other people and and I think this is a great time to just kind of really enhance that and I am not surprised at all that you're being very productive no matter what during a time when it's hard to be does not surprise me that you're staying busy um, <laughs> yes you know me JB <laughs> I know you too well but with that said too you're talking about your kind of philosophy and, and what is Sun Devil softball. I know in 2020 so far, 
you guys as a team, you said you were on the boat. Yeah. And you guys were doing really well, especially offensively. So what does on the boat mean? Well, on the boat encompasses a lot of things. I think the biggest thing is your commitment to the team and the process of the team and really taking out your individual accolades and what you're doing and how are you making others around you better? How are you making the team better? Are you having selfish at-bats? Are you having team at-bats? Are you, um, same thing pitching-wise, you know, mistakes happen, life happens. How do you respond to it? Um, how do you, as a leader, respond to that? How do you respond if you're a freshman, sophomore, junior? So really that accountability piece, the look in the mirror, am I getting better? Am I giving everything? Am I doing the extra work? I mean, I can go kind of on and on about it, but a lot of it just has to be centered around team. And am I giving everything to the team? And am I giving it to make us better? Am I putting in the work to make us better? And not just for today, but for next year and the years after. You're all on the boat together. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, and you guys fun. and you guys were, were actually leading the NCAA in home runs too. The first to get to 50 before conference even started. That's pretty crazy. So what do you feel like is working? You know, what's the offensive approach? Well, I think Coach Harger does a great job, to be honest with you, um, <laughs> but I think it's the buy-in. Our girls, they have a really good understanding of the hitting approach and kind of what their body should be doing, um, which he obviously has done a great job of getting that system in place and getting them to work through that and understand. And, you know, it's a balance. You know, we get a lot of data. We have a lot of data thrown at us, but we really kind of limit that information to our players. Coach Rittman used to always say paralysis by analysis, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, one of those Rittman-isms that we all love. And, you know, I really kind of take that to heart. And there's certain players that can handle this, and then there's certain players that can handle that. And I think that's part of coaching is understanding what each individual player can and can't handle. You know, we have somebody like Maddie Hackbarth who wants to know it all and really can know it all because she can digest it and not overanalyze. Right. and really does a great job of making her swing better. And then you have her twin, Kendra, who it's see the ball, hit a ball. And we kind of set up some parameters when it comes to practice of what she needs to work on. And we don't really say a whole lot because when she starts to think, things don't go the way we need it to go. So I think that's the most important thing is as a coach, knowing who needs what and how much they can handle. Mm, that's a really good point. Even in my experience in my career, as you know, Coach Ford, you were there the whole time. I was overanalyzing a lot early on, and then later thinking less helped me. But for other people, it's developing the opposite. It's like, okay, well, I've got this down, so let's try to build this in this area or that over there. And so that's really interesting. And it's kind of knowing, like you said, the personalities in terms of the way that you communicate with them. I, I know because you're, you're a straight shooter, right? <laughs> Yeah, so is that, you're like, um, <laughs> yeah, good and bad, right? <laughs> but you know, at the same time, you'd rather that than too much fluff, right? So, do you also kind of have to balance when to jump on them versus when to nurture them? Like, how do you figure that part out? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a balancing act, and you're right. Like JB, I could get on you, and you can handle it, and and we knew what your upbringing was, right? And yeah. then there was others that if you looked at them the wrong way, they took it just as hard as if I got into their kitchen. So I think mm -hmm. that's the art of coaching, figuring out which buttons to push when, when can you be hard? And it's not always about being equal. It's about being fair, right? right. So it's not always that everybody gets the same exact treatment. It's what's the fair treatment you know, and, mm -hmm. and just like raising kids, I have one kid I could yell and scream at and one kid <laughs> I look at the wrong way and he starts crying. It's just understanding that. And there's times where you aren't the best, right? And I'm the first to kind of admit that, but, and some people like we send video to a lot and just write on it and it's short, quick into them. And then there's some where we overlay with our voice and kind of talk through it. Kendra is somebody again, that if we talk through it, she's really good about it. And then we have some like our freshman Alina Torres, like if we send her a shot with a little blurb written on it and she's good, like watches, oh, got it, boom. And so I think that's where a lot of our time is spent, honestly, and our concentration is, is getting to know these players and know what makes them tick and knows if we can get them to get what we're trying to get out of them quicker, then obviously we get them at a high level much quicker. And I think that's what Coach Harger has done a great job 
out of our freshmen, you see our freshmen, both Jasmine Hill and Alina Torres this year, tore it up as freshmen. And yeah. I think it was because we did a good job of understanding how they learn and then being able to communicate clearly in a way that helped them get going faster. Everybody's different. So it makes sense yeah. that you would start, try to customize, you know, how you're teaching because coaching is really teaching as well. Absolutely. We've been talking a lot about offense because how can you not when we're talking about Sun Devil softball, especially now <laughs> after this season, but you obviously have a background in pitching. What's your approach in terms of balancing both as a coach? I know you probably lean on your staff, but what does that look like? Yeah, I always say that I do a little bit of everything, right? I do pitching and then I go mess everything else up, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Pitching is where my heart is. It's where I spend a lot of time. We have five pitchers and, and honestly, they were developing really, really nicely. Ciela Meza this year was having a heck of a year, had really bounced back from last year and Madison Preston, I mean, good Lord, that kid's drop ball is just amazing. It kind of just disappears off the table. And, and again, it, it was neat because Cielo and I took about a year to kind of figure each other out and how things are going to go and what's my demands and what's my expectations. And then also for me to learn about Cielo and how she worked, I think this last year was a great learning year. And then this year you could really see her flourish. And I was really excited to see all her good stuff on that mound. And Preston is another one that hadn't pitched really in a year and a half and came to us and we had to get her back into compete mode. And that took us a while. And it took us pretty much the fall of getting her comfortable with failure because when you haven't been on the mound for a long time, you get out there and you're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And she had all kinds of things going through her head of what if I do this and what if I do that? And right. So we worked really hard on letting it go. Like you can't control this, right? So you give everything you got and whatever happens, happens. Yeah. And so it was good because she was starting to get into her groove and feel like she could be out there and be competitive. I mean, she was getting the ball in a lot of big situations. For me, it was just continuing that building of confidence, 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 because it's hard. I mean, you're pitching in Arizona, the fences are 200, the ball flies out of there. So if you can be competitive at ASU, you can be competitive anywhere. And in the Pac-12, it's a, a war every weekend, it feels like, really. I mean, yes. and, and yeah. you've spent, obviously, a lot of time in the Pac-12 from your days at Stanford. You were there for nine years. You've been ASU for four years. In terms of the conference, what is Pac-12 softball from your perspective? How would you describe it? The best. I still, <laughs> you know. Yes. Um, and obviously, I'm biased because I've spent a lot of time there. But the pitching is by far better than anything I have seen top to bottom. I mean, you have Mariah Mazon at Oregon State. Stanford has Dwyer back. You know, she was hurt. Um, obviously, I think our pitching's pretty good. You have McQuillan. You, I mean, you have top to bottom, you know, Rachel Garcia. Oh, she's gone with USA. So here comes, you know, another one and another one. And, and right. every weekend, Gabby Plain. And if you want to know if you can play at a very, very high level, you come to the pack. Day in, day out, you have top-notch pitching, and pitching is the game still. So if you got a pitcher that can keep you in a ball game, you got a chance. And I think the one thing that separates us as a conference from any other conference is everybody has a dominant pitcher. They have one. Right. And so you come out, you know, and you're facing Megan Farimo, and, oh, you have Garcia and then Megan, and, and they still have some others. And it's like there's no break. And as a hitter – if you're getting hits off of those type of pitchers, it's preparing you for postseason. And that's what we always talk about. And, and one of the reasons why I left Fresno to come to ASU, because I loved my time at Fresno, was yeah. conference was easier at Fresno than it was at postseason. Well, when you come to a pack, right, <laughs> conference is brutal. Yeah. And then you go to postseason, <laughs> and you're like, whoo, yeah, I can handle this, you know? Right. And so I think when you go from hard, to easier it's never easy because everybody's competitive but right um, you're not facing number one ranked team number three ranked team number two ranked team it just kind of gets you prepared for that postseason and which is why we're all here we want to be in Oklahoma City at the end of the year with a shot for you to even say that Fresno State was quote easier it's like and that's even a program that has a lot of history and a lot of success in its background having won a World Series. They're one of the few programs <laughs> over time, other than Pac-12, Oklahoma, or SEC, that's actually done that. So 
for you to compare that to the pack and it's like, oh no, it's like this every single weekend. It, it's pretty, Absolutely. pretty crazy. Yeah. And Fresno, like you said, it is a great program and they've done a great job this year as well. It's just, you know, conference play in the Mountain West compared to conference play at the pack is different. Just, yeah, yeah, it's different. Yeah. Yeah. With your time at Stanford, in terms of how you took that to now back in the pack with ASU, what were your biggest learnings? I mean, I know you also became a mom during that time too. <laughs> I was there. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I think becoming a mom has made me a better coach, to be honest with you, because I understand exactly how parents feel. We get their babies and we have to take care of them. And and I think, you know, early on, Coach Rittman taught me a lot about that. He taught me about being a part of the family and his family was always around. And, and Lori is just a wonderful, wonderful, he's lucky to have Lori. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> um, and for me, the Stanford community is very, very family-like. And that taught me a lot. It taught me how to persevere. It taught me how to embrace the hard. Um, because we had, you know, players at Stanford that are studying, you know, to be doctors and also playing at a very high level. And so for me, ASU brings a, a different balance to me. It brings a balance of being able to play at a very, very high level and also that academic piece. And they know that it's very important to me. Our, our team GPA last year was a 3-6, which awesome. is tremendous. Yes. And something that um, will always hold very dear to my heart um, because this is it for them. There is, you know, a slim chance of professional league, but you're not getting paid millions upon millions of dollars. And so it's important, you know, and, and when you look at that stat of what it's like, you know, to be successful and you look at the CEOs of major companies that are females and are in that upper level of management, a lot of them play team sports. And yeah. so that's what I think we work hard on is preparing your daughters for the next step because I want them to be tough. I want them to be gritty. I want them to work hard, but I also want them to be compassionate and accountable and, and be a good teammate. And so I think that's what softball in our program brings to the table. I know that you're doing that with Emma firsthand and <laughs> I, I've, I've witnessed it plenty of times. And how old is she now? Is she 13? Is she a teenager? Uh, Almost. She's 12. Oh yeah. my God. So we're actually hitting right now. So she's in here. We're hitting, but this time off, she wished she could social distance from mom, but um, <laughs> <laughs> she's doing well. She's playing a, you know, a travel ball team and doing well. And she's somebody that does multiple sports. I think that's really important. So she does basketball. Yeah. She'll do some flag football and keep her a good balance. You know, softball has been a part of her life her whole life. I mean, you remember when she was little and I would prop a bottle and put her in the shed and throw BP. <laughs> and so, you know, it's just our reality. And then I have a, a little guy, uh, EJ, he's eight and gymnastics is where he loves to do. So he does a lot of gymnastics and he does basketball. So they keep me balanced. And um, Emma's getting to that stage though, where she doesn't like me to be around and I want her to be around. So... <laughs> Yeah, those yeah. teenage years, they'll get you. Oh. <laughs> yes, yes. She's heading there. <laughs> yeah, she's there, yes. Man, it's crazy to think about that for me because I just remember, you know, little Emma running around the bases after practice, after games, high-fiving all of us. And I do remember, I remember Emma even telling us as a team at the time that you were pregnant with EJ, <laughs> you know, at our yeah. team banquet. And it's... <laughs> crazy to think like where we are now with them it's amazing yeah they they grow and they get bigger and sassier and stronger and mom's been putting her through some workouts and I love she's it like this is crazy <laughs> <laughs> I love it yeah. I love it yeah <sighs> well when you said coaching is like being a parent in that regard in terms of making sure that their well-being is all taken care of and but pushing them too now that you see her coaches when they're coaching her, do you judge them at all? <laughs> <laughs> no, JB, I know what it's like to be a coach. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I actually, they laugh at me because I tell them to yell at her more and be harder. And I yeah. said, she's an outfielder. If she doesn't hit, she shouldn't be playing. And they laugh at me. So, 
No, it's, it's been good. And it's been good for me to be able to sit back and for her to get coached by other people. And um, she's in a great organization and um, people that I really, really trust. And we have a really good core group. And honestly, just feel very fortunate because I don't feel like you find that a lot these days. Uh, yeah. Some of these players have been playing. We've been in it for about a year and a half. And some of these players have been together for, you know, since they were eight, eight years old, nine years old. I don't know, about five or six of them. Yeah. Um, and so I think that piece is, is really cool um, to be a part of that. But I also go down on the field and coach them. So Emma doesn't really get a lot of separation. (laughs) Well, she says she wants to do something. She's got to do it right, you know? Exactly. There's (laughs) one way to do it, the right way. Oh, man. You know what it's like to coach, so obviously you can relate to them. And you mentioned it earlier, too. You also can relate to the parents now, even more so than before. Every coach really has to deal with parents, but you being one of the parents, clearly you're probably one of the easier ones on the coaches because you know exactly what their thought process is. But do you think you're harder now or easier on the parents that you interact with, with your team because of that? I feel like I give them more information. I communicate Mm. better with them because I feel like when they sign off to, hey, we're going to come be a part of your program, they kind of know what they're going to get. Like, I'm going to push your daughter past her comfort zone. I'm going to, she's going to do things here that she never thought possible. But part of that process is a little bit of a breaking to then regrowth. And so I think that they understand that and they wouldn't allow them to be part of the program if they hadn't bought into that kind of philosophy. But I do think I've done better. You know, we have at the beginning of the year, parent meeting with all the new parents and we kind of sit down our guidelines and how the communication chain works and they get to meet our team doctor, our sport administrators, everybody that will have any piece or, you know, kind of touch their daughter, they'll be able to meet and talk to. And so I think from a parent perspective, that's really important to me is being able to put a, you know, a face to a name. And that has been very, very helpful. I think the other thing is part of me has patience with parents and part of me does not and I think that the part that does not is they're going to be fine like failure is so good for them and 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 watching them fail and having to work through the hard whether it's communicating with a teammate whether it's being on a softball field I mean there's so many different ways that failure kind of helps your growth and so I think you know we still are in that time where you know, and I understand, like, you don't ever want to see your kid hurt. You don't want to see them go through pain and, you know, that first breakup with the boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, all of that is good, you know, right. and it's good for them to experience and it's good for them to, to grow from that because then they'll figure out what they really want. And that's what I always tell them, like, you're here and in your four years, you're going to leave here and you will have found your voice. And I think that's very, very important because nobody else is going to advocate for yourself besides yourself so you need to be able to go in and look somebody in the eye and say no that's not okay and you need to be able to go into a boss and say hey i want to raise and this is the reason why boom 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 you got to learn to find your voice you know or have your backbone and i think that's what something that we really do differently is we help create that voice would you say that's sort of the essence of sun devil softball Yeah, I would. I think that's really important. I know as a parent, as I want to see my kid come in as a freshman and then by her senior year that she's almost unrecognizable woman that stands on her own two feet and she can take care of herself and somebody that's, you know, going to raise hell. And that's what I want. Yes. Strong (laughs) women. Exactly. (laughs) That's awesome. At ASU. There's already kind of a tradition there, and I know it's important to you to connect with alumni and other members of the community. What has it been like getting to know the ASU community over these last few seasons? Yeah, I mean, they've been great. We've had some really just important alums reach out and really connect with us, which has really helped our transition, you know, tremendously. Um, Katie Burkhart, Kristen Miller, Cochran, Dallas Escobedo. I mean, 
kind of all of the faces of ASU softball that we knew. They've just done a really good job, and they should have, because the program is what it's about. It's really not about who's in my seat. It's about the program. And I think, you know, all of the coaches prior to me, Coach Littlewood, obviously, um, Coach Wells, everybody kind of up to this point has really put that at the forefront of it's not about me, it's about the program and wanting to connect with the players. And so I think we've been really fortunate, you know, Coach Wynn works really hard uh, with our alumni relations. You know, we have uh, a couple of them that are in the Tucson area that still are wearing that ASU, um, you know, from Jackie Vasquez is one <laughs> of them. Yes, little shout out to her. You know, it's just important um, for us to really understand our history and where this program has been and where we're hoping to take it. And I think that's the other part that's really important as alums. And you understand this playing at a very high level is you just want to see the program succeed. So you want to see we're playing well in conference, that we're doing well in postseason. And, and those things are very, very important, as they should be. And so I think when we came in and kind of put a good product on the on the field, they were they were bought in right away, you know, and I think that that part's important because you know how much blood, sweat and tears go into playing at a high level. So you want that same expectation to be, you know, for the program as the years go on. Oh, yeah. And like you said, too, earlier, you mentioned Coach Alistair, like, obviously, in our case for Stanford, all the alums were so excited for that exact reason. And you're saying the fact that it's really about the program and the importance of just like that buy-in, fully commit to it. And I feel like nowadays, there's a lot more action in terms of the transfer portal that complicates it. And so it's one of those things where it's hard to just manage or to get that buy-in when there's so much movement. So what's, what's your take on that part? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I think that's true. And we've had our share of transfers as well. I think what is important, though, is that when you become part of us, you're part of us. And so no matter if you've been here for a year, if you've been here for three years, if you've been here for four years, like you are one of us and this is how we conduct ourselves. This is how, this is the Sun Devil way. And I think that that's important that in order for you to become one of us, that these are kind of the the steps that it looks like. So I do think you're right, you know, and we have a, a mixture of kids that have been with us for a little bit and, a kid, you know, kids that have been with us for the traditional four years. But as long as they go through, and you know this, the blood, sweat, and tears that you did and, and yeah. care about the program, that's all that matters at the end of the day. And speaking of somebody who went through the full uh, <laughs> experience at a school during their playing days. I feel like I really want to talk to you about your playing days at St. Mary's. I mean, we talked about ASU and your coaching and all that stuff, but we can't sleep on your career. I feel like we don't talk about it enough. That's okay, JB. No, (laughs) it's not. I have to, I have to brag on you a little bit. Just give me a little. Okay. So you actually still have several records for the program overall, three career records, batting average, doubles, hits, couple of single season records, also batting average and doubles. And then there's multiple other ones for both career and single season where you're in the top five. You could rake, right? I love to hit. That's what I love to do, (laughs) JB. Yes. Yeah. And that's why I love all this technology. And I spend a lot of hours with Coach Harger and just ask questions. And him and I both laugh because we're like, man, if we would have known this when we played, we would have been really good. Yeah. Kids always have it better nowadays than whenever we had it. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Yes, but but I think it's a good example. I mean, I love my experience. I love St. Mary's, and that was a good fit for me, you know, and it's not always about all the bells and whistles. I think it's about finding your fit, and for me, that was a good fit. You know, I was 17 when I went to college, and it was close to home. I was able to, you know, my parents were still able to come and watch me play all the time, and you know, as you get older, those things become more and more important. So um, it still holds a really dear part, you know, in my heart. And it's where I met my husband and God bless him. He's still, he's still with me. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it was a great fit for me. Yeah. The softball husbands or significant others, huge part (laughs) to play in everybody's lives. Like you said, it's a family, right? So having the whole family be a part of it is really special. Absolutely. Yes. And I have to say too, not only were you a record holder, are you a record holder at St. Mary's, 
but you were also the only female athlete in school history to have your number retired in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> oh, JB, you did a lot of work. I yeah. did. I did my homework. <laughs> you said it. <laughs> Academics and, and doing your homework's important, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, I'm sure there'll be somebody along the way that come and breaks it all, and I hope they do. Well, but yeah. even that part of you that says you hope they do, that's just because you're competitive. Like you said, you want the program to do well. Alums want to see that success. Records were made to be broken, right? Yes, they were. <laughs> yes. From that piece of your actual playing career, what led you down the coaching path? kind of crazy. I was going to be a research lawyer, to be honest with you. That's what my major was. And we only had 2.7 scholarships when I played and it was a very expensive school. And so we didn't have full-time coaches either. So, um, you know, I would help with pitching I would help with hitting because I had always, which looking back, I just didn't realize that, you know, I'd coached some travel ball and did clinics really since the age of 13 years old with our travel ball team and, and our head coach, we would do a lot of clinics. And so I've always done that and then went to college and went to a place where they didn't have, you know, full-time support. And so found myself coaching and didn't really realize it, you know, just helping a friend out, you know, talking the game. Yeah. And my fifth year, um, after I finished playing, one of our assistant coaches, she went and pursued a nursing degree. And so it just so happened that a full-time coaching position. It was really part-time. I was an RD on campus and had a couple of jobs, but I could coach. And so part of me, you know, when you finish doing the sport that you love and you're kind of trying to figure it out, I was like, well, shoot, I could do this. And so that's how I kind of got going in it. Kind of all the pieces fell into place. I feel like with anyone who really loves the game and who, like you said, invested so much in it, you kind of have to stay with it in some capacity, right? Whether that's coaching or whether it's, you know, media or anything else. It's really hard to not be a part of it still somehow throughout your life. I couldn't agree more. And I think that's why our sport has grown so much is because we have people like you who have played the game at a very high level and are very passionate. And you can just see the growth just go and get exponentially better because there's people who care at the very deep roots of it and want to see it grow to where it is now. I mean, today, College World Series and where our game is, it's just, it's crazy. And I just feel so fortunate to be able to be a part of it and thankful for people like Margie Wright, who laid that foundation for us and and really kind of helped grow the game. And Hutch is another one that's still in the game and Coach Candrea. I mean, we have a lot that are in the game and, and have done so much for the growth of this sport. Oh, yeah. I think for me, it's awesome to see everything that you've started to develop at ASU. I'm still, as everyone else is, I'm, I'm really sad, you know, about the 2020 season being over so early. Um, one of the reasons was because I was so excited to watch the Sun Devils. You know, you guys were on such a great start and was really excited to see those like head-to-heads and Pac-12 and all of that. But in general, I'm excited for 2021 and beyond. We are too. We have some good players coming in, so we can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I we'll love get it. through this. That's that part I know. We're going to get through this. We will. I feel like softball has dealt with a lot of adversity as it is, as a community, you know, in terms of not being given enough coverage to being out of the Olympics for so long. And so for us, we know what this is. I think we got it. We persevere. That's what we do. We do. All right. Well, I have one last question for you just to wrap things up. It's a little game. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, so I'll bring up a topic related to softball, obviously. You tell me whether it's safe or out. So safe okay. meaning you like it, you agree with it, or out meaning like, no, I can't get behind that. Does that make sense? Okay. Yep. Okay. <laughs> okay. So in terms of calling pitches, using the armbands or the coaches giving signals directly to the pitcher versus a catcher calling their own game? Oh, JB already. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to say safe, but I have a lot of, lot of thought. I really would like to say out 
but there's not enough studying of the game at the early ages for them to understand hitters. We have a pitcher coming in next year that I think that we are going to let her pretty much call her games. Because really, catchers suggest pitches. True. Pitchers call the game. Okay. So. That's fair. That's fair. No, because I know you're, you're, you're a little more old school. And I, and, I, and I like it. So I knew this would be a good one for you. <laughs> <laughs> this has been awesome. Thank you so much, Coach Ford. If anything, for coming on the show, but also just to catch up and see how you are. And my parents also did say to say hello to you. So before oh. I forget. <laughs> Tell them I said hello. I still think about the Del Taco and Barstow. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm so glad that made it into the show. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Oh, well, tell everybody I said hello, and I hope to see your face soon. I will. I'll tell everyone, and me too. I hope so. If not, there's always Zoom, but hopefully in person sooner Absolutely. rather than later. <laughs> yes. All right. All right. Thanks, Coach Ford. Take care. All right. So I have two things to add here after that interview. The first is obviously the main priority, which is Barstow Del Taco. So for those of you that don't know, it's a shame, but Del Taco is a fast food Mexican restaurant, mainly in California and especially Southern California, which is where I'm from. And some would say it's similar to Taco Bell, but honestly, there's no comparison. That's sort of blasphemy to me, but it's a similar concept. So the original one of this chain was in Barstow, California. Now, both sides of my family are from there. The best way to explain Barstow is that it's halfway between LA and Las Vegas. So if you've ever done that drive before, you've been through Barstow. So the original one there is the best, period. It's a must try. I tell everyone I know about it and clearly I do it enough times so that it sticks years later, but no questions, just eat there. The end. The second one is that after the interview was over, Coach Ford actually showed me the area where her daughter Emma was hitting during her interview. You might have even heard her in the background a little bit. So first of all, they have batting cages at their house, which honestly, why am I not surprised? Coach life for you in a nutshell. Second of all, she actually showed me a glimpse of some of the technology that she mentioned. So you can actually display a virtual background of a field when you're hitting and you can see where the balls are going in the field. But not only that, it's not just any field. It could even be Farrington Stadium, which is ASU Stadium. So she's 12 years old and getting to see that kind of thing. How awesome would that have been? Just to make indoor practice more fun, obviously, but also to have that knowledge. And that really brings me to the next segment, the double play of the week. I really wanted to add a new segment to provide a little more insight into the game and give you tips on how to get better, you know, mentally and physically, especially in times like this. So this new segment is called Double Play Tip of the Week. Now, everyone in softball knows that a double play is where the defense gets two outs in one play. So you're really killing two birds with one stone. The way I want to think about a double play here is that we're tackling both the physical side of the game and the mental side. So the same way that it's hard to turn a double play on the softball field because of the speed of the game, etc. It's also difficult to master both the physical and mental sides of the game as you take the field. So I know we talked a lot about pitching and hitting with Coach Ford. So to round it out here, this week's double play tip is about defense and getting ready for each pitch in the infield. The idea is to get moving, and I mean that in two ways. So physically, I want to focus on the lower half. Get your feet moving. Of course, you're going to be in your general athletic position where your feet are a little wider than shoulder width apart. Your knees are bent. You're on the balls of your feet. Almost every sport has this position in it in some way, shape, or form. So that applies here too. And as the pitcher is in her windup, you're going to actually start moving your feet. So if you're a right-handed fielder, you're gonna be thinking about three steps and it's left foot, right foot, left foot. So left, right, left. And the reason is because it's easier to move when you're already moving versus when you're standing still and you're having to start that movement from scratch. You're also gonna have the right momentum to make a throw. So for a righty, when you set your feet to throw, you step or cross over with your right foot 
then step with your left foot toward your target to throw. So this is why you end on that in your preparation here. It sets you up for that, the left, right, left. And obviously if you're a lefty, you'll do the same thing, but you'll switch that around. So of course, as you're moving your feet in that strong athletic position, you're gonna get low toward the ground. It's easier to come up than to go down in terms of reacting for anything hit. So you're gonna get low. Don't let your butt sink though, use your legs. Of course, you'll have your hands ready in front of you moving all in one fluid motion. And you're gonna time your movement with the pitch for when the hitter can actually make contact and you react. Now, mentally, it's about preparation before each pitch. So you get your mind moving. First, you gotta know the situation. Are there runners on? Do they have speed? Does the hitter have speed? How many outs are there? What's the count? Know all of that information. Then you're also gonna wanna go through all the different scenarios of what could happen if the hitter makes contact. What if the balls hit hard? What if the runner's stealing? One of the few times I'll actually endorse thinking about what if is right now. Think about what you will do in each situation. If this happens, I'll do this. If that happens, I'll do that. And then that allows you to make decisions more easily. So you think, do I have time? Should I get the force out? Can I get the lead runner? You're thinking these things when the ball is actually hit, but you've already done the preparation before. So you're prepared for all possible situations, and that makes it a hell of a lot easier to react. So what this is about is really sharpening both sides of the game. That's what's going to get you to that next level. So that's the physical and mental side of infield defense and getting ready for each pitch. Get your feet moving and get your mind moving. That's the double play tip of the week. You've been listening to Believe in Softball, available everywhere. iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, and Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V. Subscribe, rate, share, do everything. Reach out to me on Twitter, at JennaBecerra01. Keep them coming. And thanks again, y'all. Catch you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.